There's still one part that I've not really explained, and that's how they knew the PIN number for my card, because at this point I'm still like, well, how how did they know that? You know, it's not something they could guess, or it's not my date of birth, and I knew they had my bank card, and etc. So I thought that's that's impossible. But the bank, you know, was correct, but what they failed to mention is that every customer's PIN can actually be viewed on the banking app once you're logged in. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about theft. This past summer, a woman named Charlotte Morgan experienced a serious and opaque crime that started with her bag being swiped from her local gym in London and escalated into thousands of pounds being stolen through her bank. Charlotte's story, as we'll learn, is not unique, which makes the details of it all the more frustrating. On the night that her bag was stolen during her workout, at least one other woman also had her bag stolen at the same time from the same gym. And according to a later investigation from BBC Radio 4, a series of recent thefts from gyms around London could all be the work of one person or one group. We've spoken about many types of scams on our show before, but it's rare that we get to spotlight how physical theft can turn into cyber theft. As we've become far more connected to one another because of the internet, we've also become far more connected to ourselves, meaning that an experienced thief with access to our phones can likely impersonate who we are to the institutions where it matters most, our banks. Today, to help us understand what happened this past summer in London, what she did as she learned about the increasing theft of her funds, and how one person could so easily abuse her information, we are speaking with Charlotte Morgan. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here, and thank you for taking the time. I wanted to just start at the beginning, right? This summer, you suffered a major financial loss after having your bag stolen at your local gym during a nighttime workout. I want to just understand the setting, where you were, what was going on. Help me understand this. What part of town is the gym in? How late is it? Are there other people around? Is there anything different about the day that you've noticed? Of course. So the gym is in a western part of London. It's in a village called Chiswick. So this is a sort of a very sought after part of London for its sort of green spaces, good schools, low crime rate generally, very popular with families and and also within easy reach of the city. So it's a quite a nice place to live. I went to the gym straight from work. It's uh, literally a two-minute walk from work to the gym and around a five-minute walk from my apartment. Everything's within very easy reach for me at the moment. Uh, so it's in the evening. I finished my shift. I get to the gym at around 7 p.m. that evening. It's very busy, still during the post-work rush. So the only thing different, though, about this visit was... When I entered the building, before I even got my gym pass out to swipe it for the security gates to open, I'm told by a woman on reception not to bother getting my pass out because the gates are not working. So I'm handed a blank sheet of paper on which I'm told to write my name down. Uh, I write my own and my friend's name down on his behalf who was with me. And without anyone even glancing at those names, the gates are manually opened and we're both let through. Uh, we're not asked to show any pass, nor our names checked against the system, a system which also has our photos on to confirm our ID, uh, which were taken at the start of the membership. 
So after that, we go down to the locker rooms. Um, I get changed. We store our belongings and start our workout, a workout that frustratingly was going to be longer than usual because about an hour before I went to the gym, I was offered a new job. And so we had a lot to discuss. Gosh, it feels so silly for me to be like, congratulations on that new job offer. But also (laughs) immediately after you have this terrible event happen, you finish your workout, right? And you go back to the locker rooms and you find that obviously something has gone wrong. Help me understand what happened. What are you seeing? Uh, Yes, I returned to the locker. It's quite a day. (laughs) Mixed emotions. My locker is empty. So my first thoughts are obviously before panic, before anything really is just confusion. I mean, the natural thing to do is assume you've misremembered what locker you've used. So I begin checking the surrounding lockers and there's still no sign of my belongings. And, And yet I still naively at this point assume that either... Perhaps my lock was dodgy and it hadn't secured properly so that someone very nice had handed my possessions to reception or maybe someone was adamant that they'd used my locker and got confused and so it had to be broken open only for them to realise they had actually used a different one. Basically, I'm trying to be more of an optimist and I'm trying to uh, stay calm and not really think of the worst. So I ran up to a reception up because some gyms in this area seem to be very cruel and make you climb stairs after your workout to exit the building. And uh, when I arrive at reception and tell them that my locker is empty, there's a woman standing there and says, oh no, not yours as well. And at this point, my heart completely sinks. You know, it's like a a punch to the stomach. I'm just sort of wounded from the sudden realisation that everything I'd taken to the gym is now gone forever. And also that I'm not the only victim. And this is despite our lockers being on completely different sides of the changing room. So it's all very it's all very confusing at this point. You know in movies when everything goes blurry, when someone has a shock or something, and you know, you think it's never gonna be like that. That's exactly what it was like. Everything else, you just sort of hear to like, you know, mumbles in the background. You couldn't quite distinct and I'm just trying to think of all the things going through my head, such as not being able to get to my flat. Because along with things like my clothes, headphones, etc., that were in my rucksack. Crucially, I'm now without my keys. I can't go home. I'm without my bank card, so I can't book a hotel room as an alternative or travel to a friend's house or or anything. I'm without my new iPhone, which I'm now paying off for the next two years, and therefore without the ability to call anyone really to help me out. And and usually I'd have my phone with me, annoyingly, and my headphones. Um, Because of the job offer, I wanted to spend the time talking, really, so I didn't really need it that night. In terms of whether anyone was being helpful at this point? No, really. Uh, The only help I'm getting at this point is from my friend and colleague who came to the gym with me. He's the only reason I had somewhere to shelter from the rain that night. Um, He lives quite far away from the office. And as my flat is quite close and I had to be let in with by my landlord the next morning, I wanted to stay close to my flat. So he let me actually use his work pass to spend the night at the office because it's right next to the gym. It's right next to my flat. It's just sort of made sense really to stay there. But back to the gym stuff. I mean, I'm basically being quoted the T's and C's at this point by the staff, that they're not liable for locker theft. And that that was about it really. I mean, so it's approaching closing time by this point. And had I not put up a, a bit of a fight, you know, verbally, that would have been the end of story. But, you know, I needed help. I needed a phone to cancel my cards. I needed support. Um, they wouldn't even let me use the gym's computer or the phone, uh, citing data protection reasons, which is nonsense. And then when they finally reluctantly agreed, I just already decided that, you know, I needed to get some air and I wanted some privacy because I'd have to 
answer security questions and stuff over the phone. So I use my uh, friend's phone in the end to call the bank. So I'm standing outside the gym at this point. It's raining, it's dark. So we call the police. Uh, I say we, the gym didn't, my friend and I did. And then I call my bank to cancel my card and freeze my account. I'm told the amounts, which we'll go on to in a minute. And a few days later, I'm told that the bank cannot give me my money back. They said that the fraudsters had used my bank card's PIN, uh, which they say they could only have known if I'd given to them or been negligent with my security in some ways. So it's really frustrating. I'm accused of writing my PIN on paper and leaving it inside my bag with my bank card. I'm accused of writing it on the bank card itself. I mean, the accusations were just ludicrous, really. And I went from being the victim to suddenly being made to feel like the criminal. I mean, at this point, everyone's turned their backs on me, the gym, the police, the bank. Uh, so what do I do? Uh, anyone else would do in this day and age is uh, take to social media, posting a thread on Twitter, just because I feel like I've run out of options. And uh, yeah, it gets read by, according to the stats, 13 million people. <laughs> That's a ton. And I am one of them. So I, I'll say I'll vouch that one of those is correct. Um, there's a lot in there, particularly you call your bank and your bank kind of immediately starts making allegations. Like, clearly, you must have written your pen on your card, or you must have put it, like, on a note that was also in the rucksack. I know, like you said, it, it felt like going from being a victim to being the criminal or, or being negligent. I, I want to just understand more there, because it also, like you said, that wasn't true. <laughs> and to have an accusation just thrown at you so easily, like coming up with these things, I want to know how that felt like, because I would be furious. I'd be furious that they're so comfortable in saying that I did something wrong when there is no proof of that. Yes. I'd be lying if I said voices weren't raised <laughs> over the phone. It was quite a heated exchange <laughs> because, I mean, it was for both of us, I assume, but I mean, the call handler on his part, I mean, there was a lot of training, I think, that needed to be done, but he was also very rude and completely. I know they have to be sort of in their job. They can't really have this emotional attachment to people when they're losing their money because, you know, well, it's just their job, I suppose, to, to break that news. And I know it's not his fault, but yeah, he was adamant that it was all my fault and that I clearly, you know, left it in a in a ridiculous place or given my details to someone. And he was basically trying to tell me that I have arranged the whole thing. That's That's what I understood from the conversation that we had, I start getting extremely frustrated because I know that I didn't do that. And suddenly when you're having to protest your innocence on something you've been a victim of, it really hurts actually. I got really upset because this guy just wasn't listening to me and wasn't entertaining any other way that this could have happened. Everybody trusts their bank to keep their money safe. And I've been with that bank since I was 16. I'm now 29 and I've never made a fraud claim before. And I just assumed that they would have my back and support me. And, you know, all the actions that were taken by this fraudster were or should have been seen as being suspicious. Um, I've never shopped at an Apple store before. I've, I'll go on to the where they went later. But um, the stores that they visited, I had never shopped in before. And the amounts were excessive. And you know, there was a lot of transferring of money. And I understand that when security flags prevent people from being able to spend their money and they have to have a call with their bank to confirm it's them. I know that some people find that really annoying, but I would take that any day over uh, what happened. Like you said, you found out also with your bank what this thief had been doing, what they had been spending your money on. What had they been doing? Yeah, so, so that night, 
the bank tells me the bad news about the money leaving my account. They tell me that since my bag had been stolen, so during my workout, this fraudster or fraud, these fraudsters have quickly managed to spend thousands of pounds of my money. Uh, as, as he's reading out the amounts, you know, we're talking there's around three thousand pounds in in an Apple store, another thousand in a second Apple store. Oh my gosh! And then another thousand or just under, so nine hundred fifty pounds at Selfridges, which is a notoriously expensive high end department store here in London. And <laughs> I mean, that could have been a handbag or even a pair of gloves in there. It's, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I mean, you know, at that moment when I'm being told these amounts, I'm just thinking, well, that's impossible because I didn't even have that amount of money in my account. That's you know, they couldn't spend what's not there. But what's happened is that the person have somehow managed to reset all my banking security passwords and settings and then use them to, to log into my online banking app, transferred most of the money from my savings account to my current account, which is connected to the bank card, which they have, and did so at a rate of £2,500 at a time and very, very quickly. Is that supposed to be possible? <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounds like something went wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does. It does. And, and it was the speed at which it happened as well. God knows what I'm doing at that point. Something ridiculous, um, squats or whatever. You know, but it's, it just, I, I was trying to sort of make light of it, <laughs> thinking, right, I wonder how many, you know, was it like a hundred pound a squat? You know, how much did that gym session actually cost me? <laughs> but uh, you just go mad thinking, you know, how could I have been there not knowing anything was happening? And um, obviously, meanwhile, I was getting emails through to say, oh, you're settings have been changed, your passwords have been reset and stuff. But obviously they had my phone. I wasn't at a computer, so I didn't wow. see them until afterwards. They even reset my Apple Pay, which no one seemed to have worked out how they did that part of it yet. But these are very experienced, you know, sophisticated people. They've done this before and they've probably done it again since, sadly. Like you said, they've probably done it again. And we've seen reports that, yes, it is happening around London. And it seems like it is either one person or a group of people who are highly skilled or they just know what to do. I wanted to understand more about what we think happened because I read your Twitter thread that said, you know, you actually spoke to like a security expert or someone in security who had some ideas about what was going on. And it wasn't, you know, like, like the original allegations were that you had written your pin on the back of your bank card. What do we think happened here? Well, yeah, as, as you say, I mean, I posted on Twitter about what happened and, uh, you know, had at least hundreds, if not thousands of messages. It was insane. And among them were people who specialize in financial security flaws and fraud investigators, that kind of thing. And they had their theories, most of which didn't quite fit my circumstances. And some suggested, you know, they'd had facial recognition, which is all very unlikely. But one, I think, cracked it. I mean, I'll never quite know exactly how they did that. I mean, I have actually requested a data request form from my bank, which will basically detail each step that they took in my account. So I'll have a better idea once that comes through. It's quite a long process to, to request something like that. But one theory was actually quite simple and, and scarily so, and it's all to do with our mobile SIM. So the theory is that they didn't actually steal my phone because of the handset's value or even for the information that the phone held itself. The phone itself plays a very small part, so we think. And the theory is that they remove the SIM from the phone and place it into a second phone, their own or someone else's. And that means that they don't have to worry about any security codes or facial recognition. I mean, they are in a way you. They now own your number. And when they begin the process of resetting the security details using your 
in my case, they had my card and my phone. And with my bank in particular, it's, you know, you need some card details to change your username. And then from the username, you can reset your login details. It's quite, a, they would have been used to it. So they could do it quite quickly. And we did actually go through these steps and it took us around 15 to 20 minutes. And so they would have done this even quicker than that. But what they do is once they have your phone, they own your number now. And when they start to begin that process of resetting all your details, what the bank does is send an OTP, a one-time passcode to your mobile number to check your identity. I mean, I wouldn't be comfortable, obviously, talking through every single step on how they reset my online (laughs) banking uh, for obvious reasons, partly because I wouldn't want the information to get into the wrong hands, but also the procedure's obviously very different probably for individual banks anyway. There's still one part that I've not really explained, and that's how they knew the PIN number for my card. Because at this point, I'm still like, well, how how did they know that? You know, it's not something they could guess, or it's not my date of birth, and I knew they had my bank card and etc. So I thought that's that's impossible. But the bank, you know, was correct. But what they failed to mention is that every customer's PIN can actually be viewed on the banking app once you logged in. Very few people, including myself, knew about this feature, and I've banked with them all my life. So at some point, that feature was added. And had I been asked if I wanted it there, I'd have said no for this very reason. One, I can't believe that like that's a quote-unquote feature, that uh, it feels like there are such obvious vulnerabilities to having your PIN accessible through an app. And two, everything you explained there is something that I hadn't really considered before, you know, that taking the SIM card, owning the number is the vulnerability. Because like you said, if you get, if you're like resetting a password or you're starting an account, you're going to get this one-time passcode sent to your number and then they own your number. And then like if someone stole my wallet and my phone, they could see in my wallet what bank I'm with and they could make an estimated guess and say like, okay, well like David has this bank, so he likely has this app, you know, and he likely has an online account. And so already we've narrowed it down quite a bit, I, you know, on a new phone with his SIM card, download the app. And then suddenly, because we own the number, we can say that we want to reset the password and we'll get potentially a, a one-time passcode. And we work from there. And it sounds like this is something that has been done many times. And so, like you said as well, they're quick at it. They're better at it. If you were able to do it in 15 to 20 minutes, I'm sure that they've streamlined this process quite a bit. In the aftermath of all of this, I did want to know, like, are there things that we can do to protect ourselves from this? Because this sounds simpler than it should be to be hit with. Yeah, there, there are a few things. So, you know, the fraud case was done very quickly and I've since spent a lot of time researching this, particularly the, the night immediately after, um, which I spent in the office. And... Uh, you know, I've had some tips from people who, who work in this area, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, I mean, in my case, them having my bank card and my phone made the crime much easier to commit. As you just said, they'll know exactly which bank I'm with and they can make transactions of an unlimited amount because they'll have the card and they'll be able to access the PIN in the app. I mean, asking people not to carry both your phone and your card isn't just isn't practical. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I did think of that, about that. Maybe I shouldn't carry it. But then, you know, lone woman walking through London in the dark, not carrying a phone is never a good idea for anyone, really. So some tips. Sounds like common sense, but let's start with the basics. So set a lock code or facial recognition on your phone. Uh, this will delay access. So when choosing a code, obviously don't go with the date of birth. It's too predictable. If they steal your bag, it's likely to have those details in there anyway. So use a relative's birthday or anniversary or something. That's the sort of base level of security really for your phone. 
another way to sort of fraud proof your phone, if you like, is to turn off message previews on your phone. Because even if your phone's locked, they'll still be able to see messages. I've already done this, but it's good practice. So if they've stolen your phone and they're trying to spend your money, your bank's likely to send a text message, as we discussed, with a code to confirm your identity. So uh, without turning off message previews, they'll be able to see that code without having to worry about unlocking your phone. Uh, so you can look up guides on how to do that, um, but it's usually in the settings. Crucially, though, lock your SIM. You can actually set a, a code for your SIM card in your phone. So back in the day, people couldn't just remove SIM card from one phone and put in another phone. It wouldn't really work. But most phones are unlocked now purely for convenience, I, I suppose. But unfortunately, this is all, also uh, convenient for the fraudsters. So for reasons we discussed earlier, I mean, they will try and swap that SIM to bypass your facial recognition. So locking your SIM means that when they take it out and insert it into a different phone, they'll be faced with a code. Uh, and it's pretty much game over, or at least would buy you a lot more time. What they want to be able to do is just act quickly before you ring your bank and cancel your card. So it's kind of gold dust, really, for anyone looking to stay uh, one step ahead of them. I mean, another tip would be to speak to your bank. You know, if you're concerned that this could happen to you, which it could happen to any of us, really, you could always speak to your bank security team about what extra security measures you could add to your own account. I mean, they don't tend to add these automatically as people just get fed up of having to approve every uh, transaction. But I mean, I'd much rather choose that over going through this again. I love the recognition here that, like you said, locking your SIM with a passcode, what it's actually buying you is time. And for a lot of these scams, a lot of theft, an extra investment of time from a criminal is enough for them to like toss aside the scam itself. They're not going to waste an hour or two hours or three hours or whatever when they can just steal from someone else and that person doesn't have those security defenses. Creating that block of time, it's like a huge protection. I thought that was really, really smart. I wanted to wrap up here and understand your situation is very well documented at this point in time. Did your bank ever, did they refund you? Did they come to the rescue? Because this feels like such a slam dunk case in your favor. <laughs> well, I hope that it's been favorable to other people in a similar situation. I mean, so after a bit of a Twitter storm, as you know, uh, and every major media outlet reaching out to me for an interview, and I mean every single one, the bank, after about a week, <laughs> decided to change their mind. Now, they say their change of heart wasn't anything to do with the media attention. And uh, I, I mean, you know, make of that what you will, but I can't help think that without that, that message wouldn't have gone through and I wouldn't have, you know, got a penny back. But I mean, for reasons of transparency, I should also say that they compensated me for some of the trouble. So, but I mean, currently, uh, admittedly, I'm still actually with the bank, partly because my life's been so busy in the last month that I haven't even thought about, you know, whether I wanted to change or not. But, um, and as for the gym, so I've been in contact with the managing director for the whole country and, you know, we, we've maintained contact. I've been trying to speed up the police investigation. Initially, it was case closed because there's no CCTV of the initial theft. So that's where the police are like, we can't do anything. But uh, now that they're trying to link a lot of them in the London area, it does seem to be making some progress. So I've been in touch with the gym over that as well. But in terms of the gym, they've offered no form of compensation for my lost possessions. Um, you know, the gym would have served as a reminder of what happened every time I went. So I've since taken my exercising elsewhere, shall we say. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you again for 
coming on the show and telling us all about this. I do hope that at least, you know, what you went through, I hope that listeners can learn from it. They can hear about it. And I do hope that all of your work documenting this can also hopefully help catch whoever is behind this. Again, thank you for coming on today's episode. Thank you, David. To our listeners, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at malwarebytes.com slash blog. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod from incompetech.com and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show was edited by Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks. <laughs>